Um, just before I start, um, I just was wondering about a question, and which is I can identify with in my own life. Um, how many of you, or you don't have to answer it, but how many of you sometimes have to listen and then for, to listen to something and then because you're not listening and that costs you something very dear? And that happened to me some, it, throughout my life and just, but maybe all, all of you can identify, but I want you to think about that as we going to study today in 1 Samuel 15, if you have your Bible, you can Take it to 1 Samuel 15. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you so much for your word that you revealed to us, that we could um, learn from it and be reminded. So, Father, I pray today that as you please help me as we teach your word and help this. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you turn to 1 Samuel 15. Um, so in this chapter, we see the final rejection as the story is about Saul. We see the final rejection of Saul being king over God's people because of his disobedience to utterly destroy the Amalekite. And early in chapter 13, uh, verse 8 and 9, so we see Saul's disobedience to God's spokesman, which is Samuel. And this was the command Saul, Samuel gave to Saul in chapter 10, verse 8. Um, I'm going to go there and just read that command. Chapter 10, verse 8. So you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offering and make sacrifice of peace offering. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So that's the command Samuel orders Saul to wait for him. But this story, while Saul was down there waiting and maybe just Samuel was not coming in time and Saul go ahead and do the uh, sacrifice. And when we come now to chapter 15, you know, the story tell us how the consequences of Saul's sins are great and cost him the kingship. So we see in verse 13, Saul sent to destroy the entire Amalekite. And the story tells us that this message was from the Lord. And please understanding, understand that this is God is just, and so he will not let the wicked unpunished. So I don't want to go to theological debate or because this is, could be something kind of take a big trend. But I just want to make you think about that. God is just and he will not let the wicked unpunished. So God sent the order, sent Saul to destroy the entire Amalekite. And we see that in verse 1, the Lord Yahweh's sent to anointed you king over his people and over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the Lord your God. And it is interesting to me, as I was reading, thinking and processing this, and see right at the beginning that 
God just wants Samuel. Samuel wants Saul to listen. And again, you see, he said, that said the Lord of hosts. I have noted what the Amalekite did. We see this in verse 2. Israel, in opposing Israel, them on the way when they came out of Egypt. So the Amalekite, they were waited when the Israelite on their way back to the, uh, to the promised land. They waited when the, peop when the people of God was vulnerable, when the people were very without an army or anything. So the Amalekite waited that time to attack the people of God. And we see that in this background study from Exodus 17, verse 8 to 16, and then I'm not going to read this, all this, but I want to just read Deuteronomy um, 25, verse 17 and 19. So remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt. Now he met you on the way and tackled your rear rank. All the struggles in the rear when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be, when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemy all around in the land, which the Lord your God giving you, you possess as your inheritance, that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalekite from under heaven you shall not forget. So the Amalekite, they were Jacob's, like the descendant, the Dometic descendants of Esau. And Esau was Jacob's brother. So we can see they related. But the Amalekite, when the people are coming, they were the one going and attack the people. So with that, God remembered that. And we see that that's 500 years since that happened, but God waited when the people now establish, and when the people have a king and have everything in life, he waited, so now send the people to attack the Amalekite. And we see, one thing I want you to see in this 500 years, so Right now, you might be thinking, because I'm giving you all this background, but the story, even the Amalekite is a part of the story, but the, the main story, it's about um, Saul. And we see the time, time does not erase sin before God. And for us, time has its way of making us forget about sin or making us thinking, oh, this is nothing. But for God, time never erases sin. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ that's erased sin. So 500 years, God is giving them time to repent. But because they're not repenting, so now God said, okay, it's time. Because we know that God is faithful is patient, slow to anger, and abounding in love. He never, 
nevertheless does not leave the guilty unpunished. So a truth about God's character is that God hated when the strong take cruel advantage over the weak, especially when the weak or his people, in fact, when the Amalekite did what they did against Israel, the coming was clear to Saul and to go destroy the Amalekite. So now continuing in verse 4, 3 to 4, so we see the coming is clear, and it seems that Saul understand the clear command of God. So Saul showing kindness to the Kenite, we see in those verses, shook kindness to the Kenite people. He remembered what the Kenite have done for the people of Israel. So now he's asking them to leave. And again, this is kind of showing the favor that he understand the clear command. And he, because the Kenite people were the descendant of Jethro, the um, Moses' father-in-law, so he understand what the kindness they did. So now he is now want to punish them with the Amalekite. But we see Saul's motive in this verse will it teach how the false appearance of sinful men can really trick us to believe that they are true men of God. So the story continues, and the battle against the Amalekites, so I, we don't know from the story how long the battle stayed, but as reader, as we're reading, we can think, oh, yes, yeah, Saul, you're doing a good job. You're obeying God's command and you are doing what he required of you. But when we turn to verse 7 now, it tells us that Saul spared Agag the king. So as we do, if we don't know the story, we might thinking, okay, now Saul, what are you doing? And what are you thinking? The people were restless, violent, Hatred the people of God, and you spare the leader. So turn us verse nine now. Said, but Saul and the people spare Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatling and the lamb, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. So I was wondering, and I don't know what Saul was thinking, if he wants praise from a king, or if it's all the spoiling things, now he's thinking, oh man, those are going to be good for me to take home. So we see Saul violated and disobeyed God's voice, the voice of the Lord. So how many times... I let my foolishness desire to focus on what I want instead of listening to the voice of the Lord. We all can agree with me when we let our desires and our foolishness overpower what the Lord wants from us, it causes great pain. And when we disobey God's words, we can see that in Saul's life, 
the story that led us that the foolishness cost him the kingship. As a reader now, you know, okay, what's going on? Or the consequences we can see. This all great. And the Lord through Samuel now spoke to Samuel. We see that in verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly re- regret that I have set Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandment. And it's grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So from these verses, we see the final rejection of Saul. And now, one of the things I want to kind of little focus and help you understand that in this verse is another verse that could be very um, taking out, making you think, okay, um, what, what is about the word that God is regretted? Because we see that in the verse 10, 11. But in verse 11, so I regret, greatly regret that I have set Saul king over. Here in this verse, I regret is not an indication of changeableness in God's nature because we see that we're going to see in verse 29. About Before we go to verse 29, let me quickly read that and we'll go to James 1 verse 17. So verse 29 say, And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. So in James 1 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from God, is from above, and come down from the Father of light, with whom there is no variation or shadow of of turning. So the expression of sorrow at the sinful rebellion of Saul. So I don't want you to leave here today thinking of how God can say, I regret. Does this mean that God did not know that Saul will disobey? God knows from the beginning that was going to happen and what was Saul going to do. But God is speaking in the human term so that we could understand him, that his heart, when he is grieving over our sin, so the, the repenting of God is the turning of his heart in a new direction. And we see that in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, God chose his own king for his people, and this is when God chose David. So we see Saul at the beginning. The people chose Saul, and God warned them at that time. But now God chose his king. So now we went to verse 12 and 13. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Bless are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, 
What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ear and the lowing of the oxen which is I hear? So Saul showed no grievance, as we see in the story, over his sin. Instead, he built himself a monument for himself, as we're going to keep reading in the story. And when Samuel come down, and imagine, you, you know, Saul with that big smile in his face, with confidence. And for me, as I'm reading it, I'm like, you know, it's like knowing the story, I'm like, okay. But he's just such confident, saying, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. That's a lie. Saul, what are you doing? What are you thinking? How could you come so boldly in the presence of the presence of God and from God's prophet, you know, hey, I perform God's commandment. You know, Saul, because of its pride, and Saul's self-deception. And you see the sinful pride of life sent Saul far away from God. And Saul, you did not obey the voice of the Lord. Why have you say, I have performed the commandment of the Lord? And we see that Saul's character at the beginning, Saul was a man who showed humility by hiding himself. And we see that in chapter 9. We're going to go from chapter 9, verse 21. And Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamin and the smallest of the tribe of Israel and my family least? of all my family, of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? And in chapter 10, verse 22, Therefore they inquire of the Lord further, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, There he is hidden among the equipment. So we see Shaul show humility at the beginning, hiding himself. But now, because of power, Saul's become so prideful. And now he is not obeying the voice of the Lord. And in verse 14 to 20, Saul did not obey, but it's interesting how, you know, boldly he's speaking, and it keeps repeating that same thing again and again. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And which is so funny, the evidence is in front of him. You know, Samuel can hear the bleeding and the lowing of the animal was so obvious, but the self-deception just blind him. So Saul did not think of his action and say something that is enough lie. But now we see in verse 15, now he's shifting the blame over the people. Said they have bought them from 
the Amalekite, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Not only is he shifting the blame to the people, but he is saying, your God, and we can say, oh, not my God. So as we continue reading in verse 16, then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. And Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, you were not heed of the tribe of Israel, and did not the Lord anointed you king over Israel. Now the Lord sent you on a mission, and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you did not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you stoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and brought back Agag, king of the Amalekites. I have a teller destroyed the Amalekite. So to me, this, you know, all this I was thinking and Saul disobedient, it's unparalleled. While it's he's pleading his innocence and blaming the people. And we see previously Saul, who was someone who has authority, because in the previous few chapters, Saul passed this command. Anybody who eat anything, he will put them to death. And now he's blaming the people. So when we come now to verse 22, we see a, asking a rhetorical question, which we, we see the answer in the 22b. Has the Lord has great delight in burnt offering and sacrifice, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Not that things get willy-will, because now Samuel's okay. You're not obeying the voice of the Lord. Things are getting well for him. So we see now the seriousness of Saul's disobedience is underscored. And Samuel now professes God's judgment against the king Saul. The judgment is finalized. And you know, our life sometimes, we know difference than Saul. Because we tried and tried to prove ourselves and give much as we can. In today's world, we're acting in the same way as Saul when we say to ourselves, I will do what God requires of me just to do it, but in our heart, it is not in it. But we see now in verse 22, as the rhetorical question in this thing, so... It's very serious as Samuel passed God's judgment and he asking. And we, we, we can find this uh, scripture in Deuteronomy 18, verse 10, when he said, Behold, to obey his burden and sacrifice, and to heed then the fat of ram, for rebellion is at the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness. It is as iniquity and idolatry. So when we're not obeying the Lord, 
obey the voice of the Lord, it's compared as with witchcraft, people who do those magics and things. And we can see that in um, Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17, kind of bring us the same themes again. Psalms 51, verse 16 say, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I will give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifice of God's are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. So now to continue with the story, from verse 22 and to verse 23 now, see the Lord spoke through Samuel about the rejection of the king, saying, because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also have rejected you from being king. And as reader reading the story, we're thinking, okay, now it's over, so it is over. But when we come to verse 24, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your word because I fear the people and obey their voice. So we see Saul kind of repent, not repent because it's not like true repentance. Because it's, it's like very superficial. So in verse 25 and 26, kind of keep with the story. Now, therefore, please pardon my sins and return with me that I may worship the Lord. And I think this is the climax of the passage. That's the worst thing. When Saul, just thinking about his sins, is don't take it seriously. But it's just, okay, yeah, just come with me and just pardon my sin. Everything will be okay. Yeah, just come with me. But we see in verse 26 now, Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. So it's over for Saul, as we see in the story. And in verse 27, as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul says his edge of his robe and said, and it's torn. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to your neighbors of yours who is better than you. And we see there those when Saul's kind of, oh, because I have feared the people and obey their voice. And I mentioned that before. Saul is the king. Um, he has the power to tell the people what to do. But I think he's just blaming them and shifting the blame that he's supposed to be. Okay, yes, it was me taking all the sheep and everything, and did not obey the voice of the Lord, but he is blaming the people. 
And I think verse 27 and 28 provide a vivid picture of how the kingdom has turned away from him. And again, remember earlier, God speaking in the human terms so that we could understand his heart. He is grieving over our sin and the repenting of God is the turning of his heart in a new direction as we see now, we see in the verse 29. So I, it's an affirmation of Saul's, the Lord made his decisions over him, that he is, the kingdom is torn from him and God now choose his king. And we can see that verse 29 kind of help us see that maybe Saul might be thinking that he was the strength of Israel because of all his military power. And we can see that in 1 Samuel 14, verse 47, when all his kingdom set up and everything is set. And maybe that's where we, he might think that so Saul established his sovereignty over Israel and fought against all his enemy on every side against Moab, against the people of Ammon, against Edom, against the king of Zobah, and against the Philistine. Whoever he turned, he raised them. So maybe that's where Saul thinks, oh, this is the strength. But we see God was speaking that his relenting is that he's choosing to go in a direction. So now when we get to verse 30, show us, you know, verse 30, let's read that. Then he said, I have sinned, yet honor me now. Please before the elders of my people and before the Israelite, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. So again, I don't know why Samuel returned with Saul, because before that we see Samuel was going to leave, but maybe few interpretation is that Saul was still king, and Saul probably have another 25 more years. So as a people group, so Samuel returned for the benefit of the people so that now the people don't just, you know, oh, Saul is not king anymore, or maybe. But when we see now in verse 32 and 33, Samuel and Saul, now Samuel did what? Saul neglected. So then Saul said, Bring Agag, king of the Amalekite, he to me. So Agag came to him curiously, and Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother and be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. So, you know, Samuel grew up in the temple and thinking oh, maybe his role as a priest. And I was thinking, okay, read this as he hacked him. Because, 
I mean, it's supposed maybe Samuel was such like a professional in like doing sacrifice or killing bulls. But so just help me thinking, okay, how he, you know, this translation said he hacked him in pieces. But now when we get to verse 34 and 35, but Samuel said, as you, 34, then Samuel went to Ramah and, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. So we see the heartbreak splitting between Samuel and Saul. And Samuel want nothing from Saul. And we see the character of Samuel reflect God's heart because he mourned of Saul's decisions. And so what is the lessons for us in this story? And what might our disobedience cost us? And we see Saul's disobedience cost him the kingship. But for us, you know, what might our disobedience cost us? Or I think a better question is, what wouldn't our disobedience cost us? The Bible indicates that David has lost his firstborn son with Bathsheba because of his sinful disobedience. And Samson lost his God's given strength and eyes and freedom. Sometimes he, you know, he spare us from some consequences because God is merciful. Sometimes we face very severe consequences because God is just. So whose voice will we eventually listen to? I hope it is God's voice and he is alone. And we can see that in Psalm 29. You guys don't have to turn there, but I'm going to quickly kind of go over Psalm 29. 3a says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters, and the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. In verse 5a, The voice of the Lord break the cedar. 7. The verse of the Lord flashes forth flame of fire. 8a. The voice of the Lord shake the wilderness. And 9a. The voice of the Lord make the deer give birth. So we can see in that how voice of the Lord is so powerful. The mighty and all this imagery things can stand God's voice. And again I'll ask the question. Whose voice would you listen to? Whose voice? Is it the voice of people around you or the voice of the Lord? So we are, more, we are no more different than Saul when we are not listening to God's voice. We tend to do the same thing when we listen to our friends, families, or any time we choose to please self others 
before pleasing God. Choosing to be quiet about our faith at a key moment in front of our coworkers or buying into society views of homosexuality or buying the people worldview of today, truth is relatives, or there is no absolute truths. Another big thing is how we are tempted to justify partial obedience. The idea of picking and choose what I like about the Bible and to believe and feel the rest is not applicable to us. And I think the same concept will apply to obedience. You can be a little obedient. It's like being pregnant. Sorry, guys, about that because it's like, okay, this can happen only with a female. But, guys, thinking, th thinking about the point, you know, you can be a little pregnant. There's no in between. So you aren't or you... So I think, you know, there is forgiveness for any of this. And the only way to restore and be unrestricted from the fellowship of the Lord is through true repentance. Because by obeying the voice of the Lord, there is great hope and joy. And I think we see that in John 15, verse 14, said, You are my friend if you do what I command you. I no longer call you my servant because a servant does not know his master's business and said, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from the Father, I made it known to you. Wow. God, Jesus made it known to us. And that's why I will ask the question again and thinking through it. Whose voice would you listen to? Would you listen to the voice of God or would you listen to the voice of people around you? Because we see in this story, the whole story built around that voice, that Saul obeyed the voice of the people around him. So I hope it's God's voice and his alone we are obeying. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your scripture and your words. Father, I just pray as this is true to me. And Father, I just pray that you would help me and help us who listen to this sermon today, that we would obey your word, your voice, not the people around us, not the culture or what the culture offer or what the pressure of peer pressure, everything, all this. Father, I just pray that we would Listen to your voice, who has power as the imagery show that your voice can break the cedar. So, Father, help us to obey you and use as this story in the Bible as a reminder for us. So, Father, I pray that we would daily reminded of it. In your name we pray. Amen.